All right. So uh, congenital hip displacement. Was that? Dysplasia, yeah. Dysplasia. Mm-hmm. So basically, I didn't know until I went on a skiing trip. Um, I fell down stairs. It wasn't even because of skiing. I fell down these stairs, and my hips popped out of place. And I threw it back in place, and my friends were like, what? And Oof. I was like, what do you mean? They were like, that's not how it's supposed to be. And I was like, I do it. I've done that my whole life. And they were like, what? My parents Oof. were like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> my parents had no idea. And I was like, no, when I walk, my hips just pop out of place, and I just throw them back in place. And when I run and whenever, and they were like, that's not normal. normal. And I didn't know that. Really? Nope. Like, don't you do it too? Yes, exactly. Like, don't they just oh, pop out no. constantly? So they took me to a specialist um, and they found out I had very, very severe hip dysplasia. Um, normally hip dysplasia, so this is your your um, bone here and your, your hip covers like this yes. and you kind of go like this. Yep. Um, normal people have like this much coverage and they can they can roll and it doesn't mm-hmm. pop out. I had this much coverage. So, so not at all. None. Yeah. So it would it literally just would cover just the tiniest bit and it would just pop out whenever oh it wanted to. My. And I didn't you know, we didn't know until very later. Apparently they're supposed to catch it when you're a baby and they can fix it very easily by putting you in a cast in like these like whatever um cast type things. Um and it fixes it so that your your body molds to not be mm-hmm. able to do that. However, they didn't catch it. Um, and it's passed down through... Um, Is that like, hereditary? Yes. Okay. Um, and my dad, so my grandpa, I've never met my dad's dad. He passed away a long time ago. Um, and apparently he always complained about his hips always and they he and passed away early heard. and so we never knew you know we never got the chance to be like hey pop you know like what happened there because i think i have it right. um yeah so then i started pt um i w- went to a surgeon they right away it was like literally the next day they were like we want you to go see someone now and i was like okay um so we started <laughs> pt that week and i was in i was doing pt for many many years um, it just became part of my ch- childhood, and mm-hmm. I would just be in PT a lot. Um, I would see a specialist once a month. Once a month, I would get x-rays. So I, you know, I've gotten a million x-rays over the years. Um, and it wasn't until, obviously, I was performing. I was not a dancer growing up, so I was in theater. Mm-hmm. But I would, our academy didn't have any sort of dance program, so I didn't grow up dancing. Um, and it's where I am still in theater. It scares me more than anything. Um, growing, but scares me. Um, and Is it so of the hip? no, just because it's terrifying, and I'm not okay. It's not my strongest suit, so right. Um, no, it doesn't. Hip wise, I'm fine now, which okay, is cool. good. Um, but anyway, so when I turned 18, I went to college when I was 19, and even so, I started dancing. You know, we have dance classes at OBC, and I started dancing more full-time-ish, um, and walking to and from classes and things like that, it got unbearable. Mm. And I would just literally be walking to class, and I couldn't – I would just have to stop so many times because my hips would just be so bad. Um, so I got sick of putting a Band-Aid on it, per se, and I'd gotten, you know, cortisone shots and all kinds of needles in my hips and things like that that just weren't he- going to be a permanent fix. Right. Um, so Kicking the can on the road. Yep. 
without <laughs> telling my parents, which I should have, but I was an adult and I, I've always been in, we grew up very independently. So I, you know, would, from 16 on, I went to doctor's appointments by myself and mm. um, <laughs> I scheduled my first hip surgery. I basically told my doctor, Dr. Henry Boateng, um, I call him my best friend. I love him with all my heart. And he was like, do you, you want to do it? I was like, yep, I want to do it. So we scheduled um, my first surgery. And we did not know how intense it would be. We were not told how intense it would be. And we were not told how long recovery would be. Um, I was scheduled to begin Titanic with Servant Stage. Mm-hmm. In, we would start at the end of August. I got my hip surgery the first week of July. And I was in the hospital for a week and a half. Um, I lost a lot of blood. I wasn't keeping any food down. I We figured out I was allergic to every narcotic ever. What? <laughs> no idea why, but I'm allergic to every narcotic. And it just, my body rejects everything. So from a person who's gotten four hip surgeries with just taking extra strength Tylenol, right? it's, you know, I have a really high pain tolerance now. So it's yeah. great. It's great. I learned a lot. <laughs> Um, yep. So we started the first surgery and I was on in a wheelchair for about a month. Um, uh, I was in a walker then for the next month. And then I was on crutches for about three months. Um, after that, I should have been on for a lot longer. However, I was determined to be in Titanic (laughs) and I literally learned to walk for Titanic. Now, walk is an interesting phrase because it was more of a limp it mm-hmm. wasn't a full walk <laughs> obviously my i had no strength whatsoever in my hips at that point so it was a bit of a limp however i did it and it was awesome um and i did pt that whole year until the next surgery and then we got the screws out of the same hip um there were like these screws this big yeah, like I... four or five of them in in the one side um so what exactly yeah. did they have to do? Did they have to like so, make make a bone like piece of metal to help? So they or? basically, <laughs> the doctor, he was kidding around, but he actually wasn't. They take turns and break my pelvis in half. Mm, that's right. Um, <laughs> and you know your pelvis is pretty strong, pretty so strong. they have to take turns because it gets tiring. They break your pelvis in half. It is an eight hour, eight hour plus surgery. Um, which is a long time to be under anesthesia. Um, and, oh, thank God you were under anesthesia. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. As a singer, I had to be careful with surgeries because so many tubes were going down my throat. Right. They had to, we figured out that we had to use a child-sized tube that it wouldn't be um, laying on my vocal cords. Um, I would wake up, you know, with no voice for weeks. However, mm-hmm. it wasn't as bad when they used the child tube because it wasn't just resting on my vocal cords the whole time that was one of the procedures that like ruined julie andrews voice. yes yeah. yep exactly um so it was something i was really scared of and it was something i you know never really had a problem with i'm so thankful covid ruined my voice for a while but surgeries didn't so weird um <laughs> yep so then i got the it was during missions conference the one time i got a surgery and i was on crutches then for a few weeks um, and then as soon as my, I guess it'd be my junior year ended a week later, I went and got the third surgery and I was basically out of commission all summer long. It, it was the longest recovery out of all of them. 
Um, so from like May to when we went back to school, basically, I had just gotten off crutches. Um, I was still in pain, a lot of pain, but I was done with crutches at that point. So it was a long time to be on crutches and it was a long time to be in pain and on my couch as all of my friends were doing theater Mm -hmm. internships and dancing and doing shows and being able to audition for things. Um, I was stuck and I was really angry about it and it took me a long time to not be super angry at God for it um, and super angry in general about it. Um, I learned obviously so much about myself and my spiritual life and all that through that and I am stronger than ever because of that. Um, However, it was just the biggest thing that's ever happened to me and it took every ounce of strength I had and God and every supporter I had to get me through it. Um, I was very angry at God for a long time about it. Um, It was, I think, when we came back to school after my third surgery, my friend Brianna was like, Britt, when was the last time you prayed? And I was like, "Mm, months, because I'm angry. And I, I can't, like, I physically can't sit down and pray because I'm that angry right now at God Mm. um and she was like okay we're just gonna sit here until you do she was like because you need to now and I was like we sat in the upstairs bathroom of the mezzanine um in the chapel and we sat there for hours and she prayed and we sat there and sat there and finally I did pray and then once I prayed it was like you know waterworks and all feelings that I had you know kept up Mm -hmm. for so long about it and being angry about it but now I look back and it's the best thing decision I ever made um and I know it was all God that got me through it because I would not have been able to do it um yeah and I'm pain-free most of the time obviously I get sore and obviously there's Mm -hmm. times where I'm like whoa literally during Spongebob I we had to do this one dance move um and it was the first time I felt a certain there was like a tendon or something in my hip that like activated and I like could move I was like whoa Whoa. and someone was like what I was like I just activated this tendon and they were like what do you mean I was like oh sorry no like I couldn't for years and there's still years later that I am finding little things that I'm like oh I have not been able to do that right or like at the end of the day I do limp a little bit because I'm tired like my hips get tired yeah exactly so there it's I, it's a going to be a long time process, I think, but I have no restrictions. Um, and, you know, I danced in my senior recital and I, mm-hmm. um, there were so many things that I was determined to do and um, I had the support and the love to be able to, to achieve that, which is great. So, and I don't have to, you know, get x-rays every day now or every month. Right. And, yeah. That's probably um, yeah, nice. <laughs> Yeah. It's very nice. I haven't been to... It was honestly really bittersweet. You know, I had been with this, seeing this surgeon uh, once a month since I was 13. And then we had my last appointment like a year ago. And he was like, this is it. Like, you're done. Uh-huh. You're done now. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so we got pictures and, you know, like talked. And he, Did you have the screws? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah I have like eight screws that he gave me um, for my surgeries, and yeah, he's the best. He was gonna come to my senior recital and then have the surgery scheduled, mm. um, but he's been. Yeah, all my nurses were like, they were like, we're gonna watch on Facebook, and there was just so many. Th- it was really cool to have like a certain community that you know they just knew me as the theater girl that was getting all these hip surgeries. Right. <laughs> 
was always in the in the hospital. So yeah. So, how does one deal with a disability? Would you call that a disability? Um, it was yeah. At yeah. that point, it was. How do you deal with that and uh, still do theater, or was like, so you you were dead determined to get to do theater? Yeah. How did your doctors were ever like listen, Britt, You need to slow down. Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, there was one time. So Titanic specifically, Titanic was supposed to start. Um, now I was a maiden Titanic. Like I could right. have been like, no, I can't do it. You know, I could have been like, this is not that important, so I'm not gonna do it. But at that point, you know, I had been in on the couch for months and I was like, mm-hmm. I am I want to do this. I'm it's, tired. I'm tired of sitting around. I want to do this. And I went to my doctor's appointment hoping to be able to start PT. Um, it was month, uh, a month and a half after my surgery. I still wasn't allowed to start PT. Um, so a hip, let me rephrase this a little bit, a hip um, reconstruction surgery and a hip replacement are two different things. Repla- gotcha. Um, replacements, you can walk the next hour like they they put you on your your weight on it right away Mm -hmm. reconstruction months you can't put any sort of weight on it so i felt like an old lady in a trapped like in this 21 year old body you know my mom had to do everything for me which i'm so thankful because she did she literally you know from feeding me to bathing like there were just so many things that i never thought you know as a 21 year old i would have to endure Endure, um yeah but I was so determined to do theater, and I, my surgeon was so supportive of it, which was really great. And um, but there was one specific um, appointment that I did not keep it together, and I got so mad. I just sat there and just started sobbing. When he was like, "Nope, it's not time yet. We did X-rays, and you can't, you can't walk mm. yet." Um, and I, it was just one of those things where it was like I was finally feeling okay, and I felt like it was like okay, I can move a little bit. And then it was like, nope, you're going to, you're going to wait. Yep. Eight weeks, eight more weeks. And I was like, no, that's probably nope. one of the biggest uh, lessons in patience you've probably ever had. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. I honestly, um, someone asked me, they're like, as a teacher, like, how do you have so much patience? I was like, <laughs> it's not from teaching. It's literally it's from hip surgeries. That's the only reason that I have so much patience is literally from hip surgeries. And now I feel like I can do and I can do anything. You <laughs> know, Like mm-hmm. I can wait forever. Um, yeah, so, but I was really glad my surgeon team was just super supportive of, like, no, we want you to get back dancing. We want you to dance. Right. Please dance, but. That's awesome. You know. Right. Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> yeah. Dance, but safely. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, how did you, did you ever fall into depression, or how did you stay out of it, or how, because that, that's a lot to it's deal with lot. spiritually. Yes. Um, I was severely depressed. I never, um went to see anyone for it I should have um I did therapy after graduating college and I was able to finally unload a lot of things and be able to navigate how to stay out of a depressed a depressed state as an introvert person um I'm an Enneagram six and I'm an introvert and I'm a loyalist. loyalist um yep and so we Enneagram six for some reason fall into depression really easily mm. um even in like happiness states like um think about like sadness from the movie inside out right that's basically me um and so like i see beauty in sadness however um in that moment i was severely depressed for a long long time and i had 
my really supportive family. I had a really supportive friend group that kept me going. Um, however, learning to not depend on them and was something that I had to learn months later. Um, cause it, you know, it would get to be a lot for someone, you know, right. Even being in a relationship, it like, it puts so much pressure on like, okay, he had to, um, take care of me right constantly you know and it it puts so much pressure on so many aspects of life in that way um so it it really encouraged me me to um get to know myself better and we talked about that with like theater classes but Mm -hmm. knowing how to um deal with depression and deal with anxiety and things like that that just creep up without any warning exactly yeah yeah yep so it's that's been uh, a large part of my journey is learning how to be okay with things um, from having my mother pass away mm-hmm. um, to losing a house to having to do all these extraneous things because my family wasn't in the best situation. Yeah. Um, and my faith was really challenged at that point too because I was like, God, how dare you let us lose our house? How dare you let my mother die? How dare you... Uh, have my dad uh, my dad was a, an abusive drunk okay. so I was mad about all the things yep. and um, it, it, it was such a complicated life to as especially as a kid mm-hmm. as an 8 year old who was the biggest mother's boy in the entire world <laughs> um, to have to come to face or come to uh, a realization that it really isn't about me because that that's what it, that's what it was all about it was like how i i'm doing that i can't do this i'm doing this it, or it, this affects me in this way it wasn't uh i was a very egocentric person mm. um and i had to learn that it's not about me it's all about god mm-hmm. because I, I was angry at god i was like why are you why are why did you do this to me but um one of one of my biggest breaking points was my mother had donated her organs to science. Okay. And because uh, she was a science teacher, she loved science and everything about science. And uh, actually, that's part of the reason why I'm a huge germaphobe. Oh. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you realized over mm-hmm. the over the colleges, I would always use hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's why. I'm, I'm okay. a, uh, everything related to science kind of was just bad juju to me. Mm-hmm. And then COVID just tightened everything. Oh, my gosh. Um, but... Uh, the doctors came back and said that they couldn't use any of her organs because they were so damaged from alcohol, drinking, smoking, and all that jazz. Yeah. So had she had lived on, she would have been in immense pain, mm-hmm. been this, uh, and I don't mean to say like burden, but that's what it would have been yes, for us. It would have been sure. a gigantic burden for our family, for my dad who also has cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. So he can almost not walk very well and is also legally blind so so it would have just been this immense burden and without my mother's death my dad wouldn't be six years sober probably mm-hmm. um you know with without her death i wouldn't have found my because i wanted to be a zookeeper when i was a kid are you serious I'm dead serious yeah that's awesome I, I wanted to be this ultra big scientist and um but because she died and uh, she was a science teacher and my and my brain dealt with it in the way of Oh well, science is bad. It kills people, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is to some extent is true, but not in this case. Uh, it 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 just forced me towards the music side. There was it was it was either science 
uh, or music. And mm. then just shoved me over to the music side, which I'm eternally grateful for. Of course, yeah. Um. So yeah, that was the that was the biggest moment of okay, God, maybe He knows what He's doing by taking my mother out in one of the most peaceful ways. She she died of a heart attack in her sleep. Oh. So it was just instant gone. Yeah. yeah. And w- which was hard, but one of the most merciful ways she could have gone out. Yep. So I don't know if you ever had that experience of like, well, this is what it's come to a head to. This is why this has happened. Yes. Literally. <laughs> Yes, there are so many times in my life that I'm like, in the moment, I am so confused why things are happening. I feel like that's for everybody. You know, hardship happens, someone passes away. All kinds of things mm-hmm. happen that you're like, why would God allow this? And then you look later and you're, you're astounded to know how much work he did in you and made you grow through, through the worst of times. You know, mm-hmm. the worst, worst of times. Um yeah, I was looking back at my senior recital when I was sending you the clip, and I was was thinking back to feeling terrible, and I was at a terrible place in life. Um, however, it was the first time ever, even amidst a awful time in my life, I felt like I was truly worshiping three musical theater. It was the literally the first time, and really? there was there were so many bad things that happened that semester that that. I was so incredibly thankful for. It was literally like an hour of just complete worship through musical theater, and I didn't think that was possible. You know, it was mm-hmm. we would hear that all throughout college, like, "No, you can worship through musical theater." And I was like, "I've never experienced that." Right? right until the moment that I was so broken, and I allowed myself to not lift myself up, but allow God to lift me up through right. performing. That I was immediately in a worship full zone through musical theater then so we talk about this a lot at lbc but what do you consider worship Hmm. um how do you define that that's a really good question that's a giant topic within the mwpa because there's it's such an umbrella term right yeah uh and there's you know there's literally a worship arts major where Mm -hmm. the other whole dedicated uh purposes to um, lead people in worship so there are some people who have a very narrow-minded uh, view of worship and then a very broad view of worship so what would you consider uh, yourself to define as worship um i have always um whenever i am truly feeling like i am worshiping i'm like okay here i am um it's literally just being in the presence of feeling like I'm in the presence of God in a, in a Mm. sense, um, letting yourself truly go in that moment, all your cares, all your worries, um, your schedule, your, your, everything that you, you're dealing with, um, and letting God truly work inside of you in that moment. Um, and I feel like there, you know, we can sit in church and we can sing this worship song and we put our hands up and things like that. Right. Um, but I always feel like the most worshipful times are the least ex- when you least expect them to. Like things like your senior recital. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm literally singing this Broadway musical and I feel more connected to God than I've ever felt. Um, or just standing outside um, and looking at creation and being like, this is worship. 
this is me literally worshiping God right now because I am just in the presence of, of his creation. I'm in the presence of him and me. And that's all that matters. Right. Um, yeah, finding finding the beauty of worship in in all the little things. Like theater. In a secular theater, you know, I could have this worshipful moment that I could never have expected. But I only had it because I let go of myself and my selfish ways or thinking about myself. And I let God work through me. And that's the most worshipful moment you could, I think, you could have. Yeah, it's it's always weird when, because uh, worship will sneak up on you. Yeah. And uh, God will definitely sneak up on you. I went to Noah Reber's recital. Yes. Uh, or, well, I guess it's project, technically. Uh, he, for, he did a worship project. So he did a whole, like, hour of worship, um, being a worship arts mm-hmm. leader. And uh, one of the songs that I've never in my life ever heard before. I'm not a person who who stands up, raises their hands, and all that stuff. It, that yep. it feels awkward to me. Yep, it's not how I grew up. Not not how I grew. Well, I, it's kind of how I grew up, but okay. it just never felt right to me. Yeah. And um, people are like, "Well, why why aren't you so expressive?" I'm like, "I just don't feel as expressive as that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's some people who jump around and dance around and, and run around the sanctuary. It's, it's not me. Mm-mm. Um, I'm I'm content swaying side to side to the beat. That's that's me. Yep. That's literally it. Um, but during Noah Reber's uh, worship set, just something it had to be his voice. <laughs> he has an amazing voice. Yes. Um, and one I forget the song, but it just made it made me stand up, put my arms up, and then the second one second later, I just started. I broke down and started crying mm-hmm. and sat back down. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. And I I don't know what came over me. I literally have no idea. But it just it was just this release of emotion and i just let myself go mm-hmm. and it, he touched me and and it just everything was gone and everything was i was free for a second but i i felt this hard conviction at the same time yeah which is such a weird dynamic to have yep um so it, it was god really works in mysterious ways yep. Yep. and you never expect it so uh, you say working at a secular place, mm-hmm. um, there's, there was a conversation at LBC about having boundaries as a Christian because yeah. there are some things that are unchristian in, in theater and there are some things we, we're, we're told to stay away from. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that boundary? What, what, is, what is the boundary? Uh, how do you define that for yourself? Yeah, um, it's always this hard line between Knowing that you are not yourself on stage in that moment, right? Mm. You are a character. However, you are still yourself. There is no escaping that. Your name is in the playbill. Your Mm. name is on that stage. You as a person, as God's creation, as a believer in Christ, you are on that stage representing God, representing your family, representing all kinds of things like that, Um, representing your school. Mm -hmm. And you, we talked about it a lot in acting classes and it was something that was honestly the most impactful thing I think I'm I learned here um through Johnny Russell actually our acting teacher he's one of the most incredible people in the whole world um and he was saying that you know you are always yourself on stage no matter what you are still representing yourself so you need to know your boundaries and we had our dream books that we talked about before 
Um, and we literally would write down, um, okay, I'm not going to be nude on stage. I'm not going to be, um, if I'm married, some people were like, I'm not going to kiss another person on stage. I'm not going to have, you know, do sexual things on stage. I'm not going to curse on stage. I'm not going to take the Lord's name in vain. Um, making a list of these are the things I'm, I'm willing to cross and these are the things I'm, I'm not and I cannot mm-hmm. make it so much easier now because as you, you know, after college, you audition first, everything. And, right. you know, you, you your job becomes auditioning after yeah. college. That's literally your job. Your job is to audition for everything. And most of the time it's a no. Mm-hmm. Like literally you, you audition for everything and most of the time it's a no and very few times it's a yes, which is, you know, great when it's a yes. Um, which is why but, you have to audition all the time. Exactly, constantly. Now. Auditioning is a, an art in itself. Yes. Um, and knowing exactly your boundaries as a Christian and as a person, it helps you to know, okay, here's an audition for this. I'm not going to audition for this because it has this in it. I know this character has to say this or this mm. and this. If there's there are certain shows, however, um, that they would be like, what about this show? Like, you would be perfect in this show. I'm like, I know. Like, I, I would love to do that show. Um, for example, Next Normal is one of my favorite shows ever. It focuses on a family that's dealing with severe mental health throughout right. the whole thing. Each person kind of represents a different form of mental health. Yep. Um, and I, Natalie, is one of my fav- my dream roles ever. She curses throughout the whole thing. She, um, I think there's, I don't know if she kisses or not. There are certain things that I'm okay with, and there are certain things I'm not okay with. That show, I would, I would for sure do it, just because it represents something completely different than going on stage and doing this thing that, you know, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, a show like Kinky Boots. Yeah. You know, a show like Kinky Boots that, in my opinion, does not have a redemptive ending to it. Um, it's just be you be proud and that's that's what it is um Mm -hmm. and some people completely feel different about that that's just my own personal you know opinion on it right um a show like next to normal i feel like the things that are in it are are essential to get through the audience to the audience that all could also struggle with that or also struggle with the same mental health disorder that i'm showing so in that moment, me cursing is not me as a person, you know, just cursing. Even if I without a purpose, without a purpose, exactly. Um, not like I'm against cursing in general, but like just an example. Um, so I, I have made a list of shows that I've been like, yeah, I will do that, even if if it crosses just a little bit, I'm okay with that. If my family doesn't come to see it, cool, you right. know. There's certain there's going to be certain shows in your life that that people are going to be like, well, I'm not probably going to support you in that, and that's okay. You mm-hmm. know, you as a person need to have your own personal boundaries, your own personal line of, I'm okay with this, even though you might think it's a little past what it needs to be. I'm okay with it because I think it has a bigger meaning, and mm-hmm. I can be a light th- right. to this cast through this. Um, there's so many shows that, you know, people are like, you would do that show? I'm like, yes, because I could also reach just by being, you know, just by having Christ in me, not being like, hey, here's the gospel. You know, just right. by having Christ in me showing that I am full of love because of him, 
that's mm-hmm. the only that's the biggest mission of being an actor or an actress in theater as a Christ follower. Like that is the reason. Um, and people see a difference. They do. Mm-hmm. There are so many people that are like, wow, like you're just really nice. Or like, I didn't think you were a Christian because you you accept me. I'm like, why wouldn't I? Why would I yep. love you? Like, you're you're an, you're a human and you're you're you bear the image of God. Yes. So here I am, and we're I'm gonna love you no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the most important to have your own personal boundaries, but not being afraid to go past that just because you're scared or right. or uncomfortable, because the most beautiful moments happen when you're just a little bit uncomfortable and um a lot of there's god uses all things yes to glorify him uh it can it can use a lot of a lot of things to glorify him and especially portraying a a broken person in a redemptive setting is one of those ways because redemption God is all about redemption, mm-hmm. and whether it be strictly religious or not, doesn't matter. It, as long as there's redemption and there's righteous redemption, that is going to point towards God. Yep. Because all good things are from God. Mm-hmm. So there, there are questions when it comes to uh, stuff like Kinky Boots or or other shows of of that caliber where it's it's questionable yeah. but it, as long as you know and you're right with god exactly that's all that matters so yep. if you can justify justify it through through biblically through, accurate yes. uh reasoning yes not through yourself not through yourself yes but if you can support it with a bible passage um then that's all that matters or you don't feel conviction or you don't feel about, conviction yep, about if it if you have prayfully considered it and you you feel like I need to be in this show. I need to be a light in this show. Even if people are going to be like, "Why would you be in that show?" Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like as Christians in theater, we we do judge. We have we have a tendency to judge each other way more for certain projects. If we're not at sight and sound, then you're, <laughs> you're not a Christian. Yeah, you right, know, yeah. you're not doing the good good Lord's, Lord's work Lord. there. You know. Um, so there is this just kind of stigmatism with it that, that is, it's sad because we can reach just as many people just by being love. And you can reach a lot of unbelievers. Yes. Because, uh, let's be real. Most of the people going to Sight and Sound already believe in the gospel. That's Correct. why they're there. Correct. Uh, if, if you're going to go to a different, like, Kavad or Prima, it's, it's, probably a lot less christian especially at epac yes it's a lot less christian a lot less of a christian environment and not only are you being a light to the audience but in the backstage where you're talking to actors and everything they're gonna see it and they're gonna think there's something different about that person i yes. wonder what it is yep and then like you said they'll be like uh i you you're a christian yet you don't hate me yep because you know there's all these uh stigmas against christians yep. against bad faith christians who don't really understand the bible at all yep and it's it's and that's part of the journey is that you have to be a a proper representative of christ and that's that is one of um the reasons why it's so unfortunate here at lbc that it's it's so when as a musical theater person you have it's almost a choice yes you either go for the bible or you go for the musical theater so i'm interested 
in having a conversation about 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 that we've already had that conversation but i mean like with other people yeah um but uh so we've talked about boundaries oh you mentioned kissing people yeah and (laughs) (laughs) i'm curious what are some of the theater tricks that uh like that are fun because i've i've done the hidden kiss uh thing but are there any other like cool theater tricks like like to mess to uh convey perspective or convey uh, uh a certain emotion or action that is a lot of fun to do not really not really i will say most times in theater you just kind of go it's not fake anymore it's, it's not oh really no you just kind of are go going you just go for it yeah um as long as both actors are okay with it um most shows if something is required of you it's a conversation before your cast like hey hopefully um hopefully yeah hey your character needs to do this are you okay with this mm. and it's a yes or no in that moment you know you have a um time to think about it or you have that actually no i'm not um there you know i feel like there's moments in theater that you just have to be like like if um a costume is super inappropriate just having to be like okay am I representing Christ well in this outfit or am I in this dance? Am I representing Christ well? And if you feel so convicted that you're not, I, most cases, if you go to a director and say, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this, can I just, can we change this a little bit? In most cases, especially in the world of theater that is more respectful than ever of just individuals Mm -hmm. um, and whatever they believe, it's not going to be a problem, right? It's going to be a conversation, but it's not going to be a problem. And if you're not a, if you're not, if you're not afraid to just be honest with that, then it's not like you're not going to go far, right? Yeah, it's if you're not honest with saying, "Hey, I'm uncomfortable." It's first off, it's going to hurt the performance. Yeah. Second off, it's going to hurt the the relationship between you and the cast members because. Mm-hmm. It, when something's wrong, people are gonna know. Oh, for sure. There's, the audience knows. The audience knows. Yeah, because it's not gonna seem. It's gonna seem. It's gonna. Uh, you're not gonna have the suspension of belief mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. Where, uh, which which means that you are fully committed that this is happening in this universe. Yeah. That's being portrayed, um, and it's there have been countless shows where I I have gone to and it's like. Something's off here. Mm-hmm. They don't connect at all. Yep. There's something going on here, mm-hmm. and it and it distracts me from the performance, and it's and it's bad memory, um, remembered for bad reasons. So if you're not honest with being uncomfortable, for you're gonna become bitter towards theater, mm-hmm. and you gotta realize that people are going to be okay with your uncomfortableness. And people will most likely adapt. And if they don't, then screw them. You yep. know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. So yep. uh, moving on from theater, I want to talk about, or kind of related to theater, yeah. is the teaching aspect. Yes. You had mentioned before the show that there was kind of a stigma almost against teaching as while also being a theater major. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember specifically during my freshman year, someone made a joke of like, well, yeah, as soon as you get out of college, if you start teaching, you know you failed. Um, and I remember being like, 
why? You know, there, it didn't make sense in my head. And I, I understand the fact, you know, we go to for theater and if we're not on stage, it's this this moment of being like, well, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. What was the point of going for theater? You should have just went for teaching, you know? Um, however, I think there is a beauty in the fact that, um, you know, I went to school for musical theater and my I didn't want my focus to be in music education. I wanted my focus to be on theater. So I if I wanted to teach theater, I could, you know, mm. um, with a BFA, you can teach in most private institutes. Um, if I wanted to, like, you don't need a teaching degree, um, right. for most private institutes. Um, obviously colleges and stuff are different and you need a, whatever, another degree for that. Um, and teaching, I don't know what the word is like, for teaching, uh, like high school or, or yeah, elementary. Like, you, yes. For a private institution, you do not need a teaching certificate. Thank it's only the public. Yes. It's the only public schools that you need that. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, so I started teaching my junior year of college. Um, my voice teacher was like, "Hey, I feel like," and obviously I had taught acting classes and stuff before that. But she was like, "I feel like you love voice. You love the science of voice. You love how things work." you love, you're a nerd for like vocal health. I feel like you'd be good at that and just try it. And she was like, here's a student. And I was like, good day. okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, here's a student. And so I started with two students at her, her studio and um, I did not manage. It was, it took me a long time to manage the schedule with school. Mm. Um, and there was like part of the financial side that I had never, you know, done before. Um, so it took a long time for me to get into the groove of it. However, um, I started teaching at Menchie Music then, and I had a pretty much a full studio after a couple months, and it was so fun. And it was just kind of those one of those things where you're like, yeah, I, I love this so much. I can literally just be a nerd about everything I love, and people improve, and it's crazy. Um, I had so many students that I, like, look back, and they – came in and be, they were like, I'm tone deaf. And I'm like, first of all, you're not. That I right. don't think you, that's a thing. Um, however, let's see what happens. And I have one girl who literally could not sing anything on pitch ever. And now she literally just played a lead in her school musical. Like there, it is wow. so cool. And it is not like, it's not me. It's, I mean, I help obviously. Um, but if there's a connection with your teacher and if there's a, um, commitment within the student there's nothing they can't do right mm-hmm. it it's it's just one of the most rewarding things as a teacher to be like hello did you did you see that you know right. do you hear the difference and sometimes they don't it takes so long even myself it takes so long I remember my teacher senior year um Christian Brewer she was like do you hear the difference in your voice I was like no I don't like I still sound terrible she's like you don't you sound good and it takes so long for all these students to like realize that they're actually improving improving and then the moment that they realize it it's like this moment of like did you hear that that was me i was like i know i know you've sounded like that for a couple weeks now but i just have to wait till the moment that that you 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 realize it yeah it's the most rewarding thing i love it so much and so like branching off from voice um teaching voice to then teaching um like music directing and things like that it's just one of those things that I I know some people are like, well, shouldn't you be on stage? Mm. You know, it's that moment. Of, well, shouldn't you be auditioning for everything instead of having a studio? 
maybe yes however you need a job right you know yeah. this is also you making me si- money exactly so you need a side job right um and if i can avoid working at starbucks in the morning right before um having to go to rehearsal or teach and if i can have a studio that makes all the money that i need mm-hmm. i'm gonna do that and i'm gonna do it proudfully because i don't know if proudfully is a word i'm gonna do it proudly there we go yeah, there you go um <laughs> And and know that I'm making an impact in these students. At the same time, I'm also learning just as much just by teaching them, right? Mm-hmm. I talked about this before. Um, I could not mix um, like a mixed voice in college at all. Um, it wasn't until my senior year that I really, it, it clicked a little bit, but it wasn't until I literally was teaching a student how to mix and then it clicked for me. I was like, hang on a second. And I literally tried it and I was like, I did it. And they were like, you didn't do it before. I was like, no, oh. I didn't actually. They were like, but you've been teaching me and I got it. I was like, yeah, I know. I understood right. the science of it. I understood how to teach it to you. I understood what makes sense for you as an individual to learn mm-hmm. it because every student is different in mm-hmm. how they learn. However, it didn't click until that moment. And just to clarify, mixing is a mix between belt and chest voice? Um, um head voice head voice yeah. yeah 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 a belt and head voice yeah it's just more of a like a forward um mixy sound than a super loud or soprano-y sound mm. um and it's it's what you kind of want to aim for for a theater sound right. more than anything obviously there's belting however the music that's being produced right now the broadway shows that are being produced are mostly all yeah. mixed sounds so if you're you're really struggling with that it's so hard to like you know keep going and and booking things so you know i am thankful to be teaching it's one of those things that you know i i i never thought i would become a teacher ever um i have never been good at talking ever and i had a lisp when growing up and it's just one of the things that i didn't expect ever to teach but i do and i love it with all of my heart so that's fun yeah i i never as a kid, I kind of, at some point I did want to be a teacher. It was like zookeeper than teacher. Mm-hmm. But then after after my mother passed, it was. But um, uh, I came across a need for a job as people do, and uh, I knew I had been swimming for a very long time, mm-hmm. and I saw this one job. It it was just teaching people how to swim or kids, and uh, and it is it is one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my entire life. Yep. Because you you have these kids who come in who who can barely like if they come into water they're without help they're gone yeah nothing there there's no help and then seeing them develop and uh from that into realizing um hey I can float by myself now I can actually jump in the water go on to my back and be completely fine and comfortable and these people some of these kids were like ripping onto me for dear life mm-hmm. uh when whenever i took him into the water some people were crying to no end and they were uh complete now they're completely fine and they can they can now they're going underwater without freaking out and coming back up yep it's, it's so rewarding it is so rewarding yep. what i'm curious as to uh what are the essential things in a vocal studio um because i've never really been in one yeah so my what I really focus on normally is I've talked about like a strong foundation. So we want to mm-hmm. have a strong vocal health foundation. So I am all about vocal health and, and finding the 
tricks and magic that work just for that student, right? Mm -hmm. I, as a teacher, learn how they learn, what works for them. And every every student is, every lesson is going to be different because some students learn. Everyone learns differently, right? Things aren't going to click the same with everybody. Um, and so I, a lot of times, focus on, or you want like the structure of a of a of a lesson, or just in? Well, I was more curious about the, but yeah, I, I guess curriculum wise, yeah, that would, that would be interesting because I for for my voice lessons, mm-hmm. it was more about exercises than actual performing. If yeah, that, for or, sure. Because as a composer, I wanted to learn or instruct my. Uh, singers how yeah. to sing better yeah or get the sound that i wanted mm-hmm. so that was more of of a specialized thing more more than just working on my voice even though that was part of it because mm-hmm. i wanted to be able to sing better but uh, i'm so what you're saying is that most of the work goes into learning the person yeah and being able to take care of their health and maybe uh rehabilitating their voice in some mm-hmm. some aspects just focusing on if they want to sing for a long time, focusing on the, the things that's going to give them the longevity that they need, um, the tricks and magic that, that helps them sing for a long time without pain, without being sore, without being finding this perfect spot that they can sing a whole show and be like, that was really great. I didn't struggle at all, you know? Um, so we really do focus on, um, obviously we focus on different repertoire and um, they sing a song at least usually once a week um, and we'll focus on usually the same song, like two lessons or something, unless it's really good. And then I'm like, no, let's keep going. Um, but we, the most of the time is, is warm-ups. It's, um, it's foundational things that is going to get them to know their voice mm-hmm. completely, inside and out, know how their voice works, how they work. And that's going to, in the end, produce more, more of a better sound than anything because they fully know their voice mm-hmm. so what's one of your favorite exercises um so something my breathing in general um is my favorite thing to focus on and when kids breathing is fun <laughs> um learn how to breathe correctly from their diaphragm they're mm. like whoa like every time so i have this exercise that i actually learned from my voice teacher um christian brewer and where you put your hands on your side and you bend down at the waist and you take a breath. Um, and it when you're bent down at the waist, the only way you can breathe is from your diaphragm. Oh, really? The only You can only breathe that way. So if you are bent down at the waist and you're breathing like that and you're memorizing that feeling, right, over and over again. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I literally have them warm up like, like they're bent over. They're like, oh, my gosh, Brent, come on. However, memorizing that feeling and then coming up and being like, whoa like there it is now i've mm-hmm. connected everything and i'm not strengthening i'm not tightening everything up here i'm not trying to focus on my chest everything is from here we talk i always talk about like an ab workout um mm-hmm. it literally breathing when you're singing is literally like having an ab workout it, yes it is and if you focus on that then you don't have to focus so much on exactly what's happening up here right right it becomes more natural because you're you're doing the work down here the things will naturally fall into place because you have a strong foundation. This will all just fall into place then. It's incredible. Um, so I've been singing for a very long time, uh, doing acapella, choir work, whatever. And uh, so I, the diaphragm thing was something 
that was kind of really harsh, 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 pushed, pushed uh, onto us. And um, it's always because <laughs> there's there's some of these people who are like, well, how long can you hold your breath, or how long can you you know like do that yeah. thing for? Yeah, and, <laughs> think, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, it's it's always funny because I have a really good uh, sense of like a, a diaphragm. Mm-hmm. And I can get really big breaths, and it's always been a funny thing if, for people who don't know how what what the diaphragm is and only breathe from their chest. Yeah, it's always funny to see the reactions of how long I can just yep exactly forever and ever and ever. <laughs> and um, but one of the other things is that it's much more freeing to your throat because if you use your lungs you have to kind of constrict to push that air out mm-hmm. more whereas if if you have the support from the diaphragm you that all that air is already in you and you don't have to constrict to increase the airflow mm-hmm. you just have to push down here harder yeah which is an insane concept to people who have never used a diaphragm ever before mm-hmm. we had to do this for uh a few people at the pools that i work at because it's a big space there's lots of kids, sometimes 50 at a time, and you have to shout all the way at the end of the pool, all right, ready, set, go. And some some of these people don't have that loud of a voice. So mm-hmm. it was kind of funny having to teach them. Uh, that's that's an exercise I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take because that, 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 I've never thought about that one yep. or never knew about that. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because even as kids, it, it just connects in your brain. You know how, like, you'll be running and running and running, mm-hmm. and the first thing you do is you bend at the waist, you're like, oh, and you like try to get a breath. Oh, yeah, it's because yeah. your body knows that that is the biggest, deepest, deepest breath you're going to get. Your body literally knows that's the only reason and the only way you can get a deep breath. That's wild. I know. It's crazy that your body just automatically does that. And that's how we're supposed to breathe for singing. And your body just will automatically do it. So when it clicks in students, it's like, yes, exactly. That's they're like, wild. why? Why didn't that click before? And I'm like, because your body was tricking you. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, was, it was already, it was already, doing it was already it. doing it. Yeah, you just were stopping it, it at that point because singing, people think it's different. It's not. Yep. Oh, that's so wild. Yep, it's crazy. Um, so you you have what's your uh, age range for students? Yeah. So my youngest is six right now. Um, currently my oldest is twenty two, twenty one. Um, and I had two 50-year-old women I was teaching for a while. Um, I personally try to not teach um, guys over over the age of 19. Mm. Um, Only because guys' voices are completely different after that that, um, age. Um, Obviously, their voices change way earlier than that, and girls' voices change too. Um, However, there is more sudden um Mm. and then as they're getting older their voices develop even more after that so i as you know a woman don't understand their voice as much after that um i would love to eventually it's just not something that i feel like i can give as a teacher at this point yet so i i don't take guy students after like 19 years old and i i have I have like six boy students right now that are all under 18. Um, and I've literally said like, well, if you want to, I have one who just turned 18. I was like, well, I will give you a list of guy voice teachers in the area who are incredible. And I think it'll let 
you know, you have this strong foundation of singing mm-hmm. um, and the science of singing, the science of your voice, you know your voice well. However, now you have to build it up and I'm not the person for that. I think you should go find a guy for that. And that as a voice teacher and a teacher in general is so important not to have this like, well, they're my student, you know, how, how right. dare I like have to push that I want them forever. No, mm-hmm. that student is going to grow by learning from someone else. Yeah. And it's so cool. Like I had, you know, a voice teacher my first four years of college. And then my last year I had a different voice teacher and I learned just as much from both of them, obviously, but like just learning new, new aspects or more different perspectives helps so much. The amount of different phraseology yes. you can have, different ways of explaining things, is super helpful. Yep. And you're you're right. You you shouldn't ever want to, because at some point there's it's time to let go of a student. Oh yeah. And because they can't learn anything more from you. Yes. And you have to let them go yes. on and grow. And there's some teachers I've met that are prideful in the sense of they're like, well, I should be able to teach them, blah blah blah. And it's like, no, you're wasting their money then. Yes. And you're wasting their time because right. just because you're being prideful of it. Like. Right. Let go of the fact that you've taught them what you know. And, and be gave, prideful of that. Yes, be yeah. proud of that. But don't be prideful in the sense of that you can't let them go. Right. And to learn more, you know. They're not yours. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what is the differences between teaching kids and then teaching a more developed voice past, like, puberty? What, what are yeah. the different aspects of? Um, the foundation is the same. Um. Younger voices from like six to ten is more about matching pitch um, than anything. Matching sound, um, repeating. Uh, I do a lot of repeating sounds. Um, you know, students that young don't can't look at a piece of music and try to you know, figure it out. Right. Um, obviously, we focus on a side of theory in lessons, and I always try to say, okay, you know, this is your song. This is you know, they repeat after me. They repeat the the notes or whatever. But I explained the theory side as well. So the, even if it doesn't click in the moment, years later, it's setting, them up. it's setting them up for success. Even by just slowly introducing them to little things, it's setting them up for success. And especially as kids, it's when we take in all the information and yes. we keep it then. Exactly. And if you, as a teacher, just keep throwing little bits of information, it's going to stay with them. And you have no idea, mm-hmm. And which is why teachers have such an impact and can also have such a bad impact right. if they're not in a great place in you know in their own personal life if they're if they're not teaching well and if they're if they're yeah you have to interact with kids on a completely different level than adults because the smallest things will impact a child for the rest of their life mm-hmm. it, one loud word one not saying goodbye one yes. no one not hug is going to it's going to shape them mm-hmm. into and you never know who it's from maybe it's it, Granted, parents, it's its a larger thing for parents right. that have to worry about it. But even strangers or uh, teachers, mm-hmm. if, if are, are they going to hate learning because this one time they were yelled at because they did something, you know, like what a child would do? Yes. Yep. It's, it's so important to realize that you're not dealing with an adult. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with a very impressionable child who is going to take these experiences with the rest and have them subconsciously in their brain for the rest of their life forever yep um something i tell my students all the time is that um this is a safe place you know Mm. every lesson is a safe place for you some lessons literally turn my one student was like sometimes 
I think this is therapy. <laughs> this is more than singing. I was like, well, you know, music therapy is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a beauty in that. You know, you get so connected to your teacher because singing is such a vulnerable thing. And your voice is such a vulnerable thing. We can learn an instrument. And I feel like there's this weird thing that people expect voices to be this, you know, pitch perfect, great voice. Mm-hmm. And then someone learning to play the trumpet, they're like, oh, well, it's so hard. So you have to like... It's okay if they mess up. It's just an instrument. Versus this thing that's part of you that you physically can't change, right? You You can grow. You have to adapt to it. But you can't physically change it. So there's this stigmatism, I guess, of like, well, their voice isn't perfect. I'm like, well, it it can. It can can be better. It's not like that's what you're stuck with. Yes, exactly. So if, if you are willing to step into a safe place, with a teacher that you connect with, some teachers teachers you're not going to connect with, and mm-hmm. that's okay. If you step into a safe place that you're going to connect with this teacher and be willing to mess up, I always say, I was like, your voice is going to mm-hmm. crack, my voice is going to crack. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be like, do this, and my voice is going to crack, and that's just going to be what it is. I'm not going to be embarrassed about it. I'm going to be, you know, there's going to be days I've voice cracked in shows I've been, you know, there's going to be days professionals do. There's mm-hmm. just so many times your voice is ever growing and it's ever changing every day your voice is different depending on the weather depending on your health yep depending Um, on how much sleep you got exactly food water like there are so many things that your voice is the most um, (laughs) tedious thing and if it you're depending on that for your job you have to know yourself and what Mm -hmm. works for you right so i always tell my students this is a safe place but you have to be willing to mess up or you're never gonna succeed and you're never going to learn unless you unless you just go for it and you're like well my voice cracked there but did you hear the note before that right yeah that was amazing you know like being proud even if it's not perfect is something small victories yes that eventually turn into huge huge victories but you have to let yourself have failures in order to have those huge victories and that was one thing i was really scared about uh going to jeffrey martin about um because i'm not a singer yeah uh even though i i don't know if you knew this but i performed in shrek Mm -hmm. i was shrek the musical um and other musicals so i i had thought that i was a good singer but i think that's just a, a small town high school yep. <laughs> struggling to find people <laughs> um but uh so i was really i was and there was this kind of um people looked at me like you're not that good mm-hmm. and i didn't think i was all that but i was getting all this positive reinforcement so i guess and being egotistical kind of maybe I, but i was never like you're bad mm-hmm. never like that but it was just always like confidence and then slowly people were like like I heard, I heard whispers. I just people looked at me with disdain, and I'm like, oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was, I'm always scared to make mistakes or sing in front of people. Uh, even to this day, when I go out and gig, people are like, play one of your songs. I'm like, nope, not gonna happen. Yep. Um, maybe everybody buy a drink first, and then I'll. Sing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be helpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So it's one thing I do want to go get back into is mm-hmm. doing voice lessons and. Uh, because I do want to sing. I want to be able to produce my own songs without using auto voice pitch or auto, not auto correct, pitch correction. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody's going to need a little pitch correction, but not to the point where it's like, when I sing, I'm, I'm either like a minor second or a major second off. Mm-hmm. So it's like those small things, but yep. it's, um, 
or like sense off. Mm. So I, I can I can sing on pitch. It's just I want to be able to do it consistently and have really good intonation. Yep. Because that's the problem. Yep. Um. Yeah, I have a student who sings a third. Um, out of every, I like play one note and he sings the third above it every time. And so something we've been doing is sliding with the note. Mm. So I'll play something and I'm like, okay, you're a little too high right now. Slide the note down. Slide it down. And immediately he goes right to the to the root of the chord. And I'm like, okay, so in your brain before you sing, you have to think about Audition. sliding down. Or, or okay. Like immediately he just goes, mm. and then he's right on pitch. Mm. It's so weird that his brain just wants to like, be, be a just a little it. above it but if he immediately thinks about going down it's fine and then it becomes second nature like i was like you have to work hard in the moment for something to become second nature which is crazy it's like tuning a voice yeah <laughs> it literally is yep that's just what we're doing that's funny <laughs> um it's a constantly singing harmony yes yeah exactly <laughs> yeah sometimes i'm like mm, we can harmonize right now <laughs> right right um that's really interesting yeah um we, so what is kind of related to this topic mm-hmm. is how to be professional and separate being professional from being real for, mm. right? Because yeah. there's, there's always that, there's always that push of like, okay, this is a, I'm a professional. Um, however, there needs to be a time for vulnerability or there needs to be a time to just level on you from a person to yeah. person. How do you, and that's in theater too, because when you go to an audition, you're, you're, you're professional time. Mm-hmm. But when you're in, once you, if you've got the 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 job, and now that you're actually in it, at that point, it's more of a relaxed, mm-hmm. interpersonal. Get a, little, get a little crazy, yeah. Yep, get a mm-hmm. little crazy, comfortable, yeah. What's the, what's the mindset you have to go with when you're when you're professional, and at what point do you make that? switch for mm. granted for musical theater it's a bit different because yeah. you know you go in professional and then once you got it, you can relax but for a child it's 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 probably a lot different you have to be professional to a point and then and then they come up with you and ask you a serious question and you're like mm. okay now i have to choose whether i want to give the professional answer or level on them for real Interesting. so like as a teacher as a teacher okay have you ever experienced that um Yes and no. Um, I'm pretty, we talked about this before, I'm a pretty blunt person. Right. Um, and I I tend to just be level with people in general. Um, it's something I work on, obviously, and there's a time and place for that. <laughs> um, there are some students that need more of a blunt attitude and um, need more of someone just being completely honest with them. And there's some that just need the encouragement Um Obviously, I'm always going to challenge someone and challenge a student, but um, there it just really depends on the student. Um, I've never really struggled with finding the balance between professional and being real. Um, the academy that I grew up in, we were just very, we had a solid foundation in being professional, but still being yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'm so, so grateful for it because it literally has followed me through even to this day. Someone in SpongeBob the other day was like, I feel like like you are so cool, but you like you know how to just go right back into like being professional in the in a moment. I was like, it's just what I grew up with. Like, right? Um, yeah. It's like I, it's just just kind of built into me now. It's just second nature. 
Um, but yeah, it's just finding those those weird balances between okay, in this moment I have to be professional and quiet and blah blah blah, but I'm still myself in in those moments and yeah, it's it's very odd. <laughs> it is very interesting. What is uh one one mistake that you have seen a tr- is there a trend of for your students like a mistake that students have constantly made that you've noticed? Ooh, good question. Um, hmm. Honestly, I would say trying too hard. Um, like pushing your vocal too much? or Moving your mouth too much, which sounds crazy because you're trying to like, the sound obviously comes out of your mouth. However, um, something my voice teacher used to say was like, you're playing, you're doing Olympics with your mouth right now. You're doing Olympics with your mouth. Mm. If you, she was like, your mouth is too wide right now. Your mouth is too like there there's so many students who are trying to like get it out so much that they're actually doing the opposite and your mouth really doesn't have yeah Yeah. they're straining it um your mouth doesn't have to be that open for that note right um and then your tongue is is there and can hinder you and Mm -hmm. working on tongue tension and things like that um and not obvious uh masks really did not help that (laughs) there are so many students after covid even me, I struggled so much because I had I've never struggled with jaw tension or tongue tension until I started wearing masks all the time. And then singing, I was like, I don't know why I feel so tight now. And someone was like, It's because you have something on your face the whole time. Constraining and your yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it it took a long time for me and students to kind of get out of that mindset. Um, but yeah, that's probably the biggest thing is people really just try so hard to just get leave their mouth open and like try to like work it too hard i'm like no you need to relax more than anything you need to relax the notes are going to come out because you're using your diaphragm and because you're using your breath to Mm -hmm. get them out it's all about the breath i literally tell my students all that it's all about the breath breath. yes that's it (laughs) and then we fine-tune it but if you're using the breath to push it out that's it that's the that's the root yeah that is the Roots. So you talked about uh, wearing masks. What was it like to run your studio and do theater within COVID? Did everything shut down or did you guys try Zoom or what happened? Um, so I was teaching at Menchie Music at that point. I don't anymore just because my stu- studio, my own studio is too big um, and I didn't want to like balance it anymore. But during right before the pandemic happened, I was a full time student and I full I had a full studio and I didn't mean for it to be like that and I was kind of overwhelmed by it um but I was making good money and I was really thankful for it and then the pandemic hit and I lost all of like I think I went from having 22 students to having four it was it was insane and financially it was like crushing (laughs) um and there was many students who we tried the Zoom for a while. Um, I had two autistic students that they they were like they wanted to keep studying, but the Zoom did not work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was just students that their parents were like, they had bad Wi-Fi, and they, it'd be like, why are we paying for something that the Wi-Fi is affecting this? And right. I'd be like, no, I understand. Like, I, I I'm not gonna make you pay for something and make you feel bad for not doing something that is so annoying, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, no, so it. I ended up only teaching one student consi- consistently throughout the whole pandemic, um, and then my stu- studio really did not grow back up after. 
um, for a long, long time. <laughs> and it was very yeah. frustrating. Um, I was thankful because my schedule is more open for school, but um, financially and just in general, I, I was really disappointed by it because I was thriving and then it was like crushed. Um, but everything happens for a reason. And right. um, wearing masks then to teach were was weird. Obviously in college, then we had to wear masks yep. to sing and shields and learn how to do a show with a shield. And um, even outside of college, like I've done shows with shields now and the the sound quality is off it's and off different. In all and, sorts of ways. You're hearing yourself yes, way louder than you yes. ever wanted to. Oh yes. And you're like, why do I sound like this? And right. who allowed me ever to sing because right. I sound like this? Exactly. Um, yep. So it, it, it was a lot, I will say. <laughs> I definitely got so frustrated at times teaching throughout the pandemic. And just, I, at one point, I stopped Zoom. They were, Menchie didn't open for a long time after, even after everything was opened. Um, and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I, mm. I need to be in-person teaching at this point. So yeah, I feel like there was, I'm so happy LBC decided to do in-person. Because so, with music, there's no... There is absolutely no way yep. you can do music with Zoom. It's not happening. It, the choir, the, the chorale meetings we had trying to, uh, yes. when we did that concert through Zoom, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. It was a nightmare and a half. Yep. Um, And the, you lose all the, the personal stuff, too, because I, like, I feel like as a mus- musician, you have to be in person in order to get a real real experience of being in college and growing in music mm. so i really was really happy especially as a music composition major who needs people to perform the pieces yes yes <laughs> trying to figure that out from my recital is wild um uh but i'm so grateful that lbc decided to yes we had masks but you know what the imp- the ability to be in person was so much more than what than what it could have been. Yes. So, few last things. I think we're wrapping up a little bit. What is one of the worst things that has ever happened to you on on stage, like a <laughs> like a blunder or anything like that? I'm just gonna share what happened this past Friday. So I was being Sandy, and I had never. Um, there's one scene. Now, Sandy Cheeks is like a karate. She loves karate, mm-hmm. you know, Spongebob. Um, and <laughs> she has nunchucks. Nun- I don't know if it's nunchucks. Nun- nunchucks. In the one scene where she like does this really like sad monologue where she goes um, talking about how she was always like, no one knew what to do with the girl squirrel who was into science and martial arts. And then she like pulls them out of her pocket and goes, Quacha! And, like, then puts them back in and then, well, I guess it's time now. And, like, it's so it's supposed to be really funny and cartoony. Right. However, I had never practiced with the num- nunchucks ever. And I didn't think they were, like, heavy and, like, oh, yeah. real. And so I um, I was just feeling really um, excited in that moment, apparently. And I pulled them out of my pocket, went like this. And I, I remember in the moment feeling like, how do I get this to stop swinging? <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. Like, uh-oh, I've started. Yes. <laughs> and I remember the SpongeBob and Patrick were just like, look at me a second. And then I like stopped the momentum and it went and hit me right. Oh. It like smacked my left eye. 
And when I say it, it like whipped my left yeah. eye, I felt like I blacked out for a second. I could not see out of my left eye for the remainder oh. of the act. Um, we were three songs before the intermission started. And it was, I never left, like, we barely left the stage. There was one point where we, like, left and came right back on. Um, and they were like, okay, like, what is going on? Um, I thought that my eye immediately, like, I had, like, big eyelashes on, obviously. And I thought they, like, came off. Because the SpongeBob, like, looked at me weird. And I was like, either my eye is, like, bleeding right now right. or, like, my eyelashes off. I don't know. But I'm going to keep going. I could not see out of my left eye at that's, all. That's wild. I was in so much pain my head immediately like hurt we were worried about a concussion um it was so bad i immediately when i went in the back they shined a light i even now have this like red spot that it immediately burst a blood vessel in my eye um up here is completely bruised it's so bad i felt so embarrassed too because i was like I heard my mom gasp from the audience. <laughs> Apparently, some people didn't see it, and then, but when it happened, I like stopped a second and like. Apparently, my mom went, and I like I knew it was my mom gasping because I could tell it was her. I was like, mom, <laughs> no, yep. So that was honestly, I've done shows with fevers. I've done show with the flu before. I there's so many things that like, I've done shows in pain. Mm. Um. But that was probably the worst thing to happen just because it was like I was already an understudy. So I didn't feel, you know, you don't feel 100% confident ever because you're an understudy. They The shows went so well. But after that, I just felt like off my game. And like, you know, everyone <laughs> I, I know was came bothered. for. Yes. I was like, <laughs> I don't I don't know. Um, so they like threw an ice pack on my eye, you know at intermission and gave me a lot of medicine and I did the rest of the show, which is fine, but my eye still honestly hurts a lot. So, mm. but it's okay. Finish the weekend. And you don't The show have must go on. Yeah. I don't think I do. I really didn't get it checked out. Not oh. gonna lie, but yeah. I think you would, you would know. Yeah, hopefully. Con con I've had a concussion before, yeah. so it didn't feel like that too much, but right. who knows? My who knows? eye's just severely bruised. That's, yep. At least it didn't break anything because that yeah. would have been hard. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, the understudy would need an understudy at that point. You right, know, yes. would not be good. Not be good. <laughs> um, yep. One of the worst moments I've, not not really worst moments, but uh, panicking moments was during Ruth, actually. Okay. Um, remember the scene where they come out on the boat? Yes. And remember when the curtain got <sighs> yep. stuck on the, so. Yep. I saw it and I caught it and I, I'm literally there holding, hold, like trying to fight against this robotic boat. And Seth is, I think it was Seth that was the boat. He was just like, yep, yep, he's he, yep. And no, and nobody realized this except for me and Brianna at the mm -hmm. time. And I was holding on for dear life, trying to, because if if I kept going, this whole current would have fallen. Yes. Also, the boat would have went into the orchestra. That's correct. Yep. We would have fallen into the orchestra. I remember sitting there and I was like. Ruth was such like a um emotional show and we were sitting there like sobbing our eyes out and then I remember I think it was Delaney stopped completely out of character and said what are we gonna do right now because we're about to fall in the orchestra like she said that out loud and I was like I don't know what to do I don't I don't know do we get out like we literally were preparing ourselves to literally jump out of this boat 
and then Brianna saved the day. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I was terrified. I was yep. like, "What do I do? I'm I'm just a stagehand. I have a sprained ankle." Yep, still. I remember. Yep, and um, I'm holding I'm holding this entire boat from going. I didn't I didn't know what the boat was. I was just yep holding on for dear life because I didn't want I I didn't know what was happening out there. I I thought the stage would collapse and. Mm-hmm. I thank God for Brianna. I know with the with the most calm oh, I demeanor. Know. I know she in, said. Done. She, she yeah she was she, she was like the narrator at that point. Yep. While she's saying it, she just casually walks over, unclips the thing, and I'm, I'm and it's instant release. I'm like, okay, get back over. Here. I know. And I was like, what just happened? I know. Man? It was crazy. Yeah, that was terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, what is one thing that you know now that you would wish you had known when you had first started this can be related to teaching to music to god to anything mm. if you could go back in time and tell a little brit blah blah blah, blah what would it be hmm my first thought would be that you never know how much of an impact you are on people mm. ever as a person as a teacher as a an actress anything um you never know what impact you're going to have on someone um so on days that you're not feeling the greatest and you're feeling a little selfish and things like that um the days that you can let go and say it's not about me. None of it is about me. It's all about God and how I can just show his love mm-hmm. every single day. I think that is the most important thing ever for anyone. That's one thing that has helped me get through so much depression. Um, for those of you listening or who don't know me, I have one of these most ridiculous laughs ever <laughs> heard. And um, it. I was going to include it in one of the clips after my senior um, in my senior recital, if I was gonna do a funny song, because there's a point where you, I hear your laugh, and I was gonna include it. I was, I was yeah. there. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, every every, even um, do, do you remember when Mike Block and Sunday yes. Bass came yes. over? Yeah. So some of these world class musicians, I had gone to their concert and I had laughed at some of their jokes, and then they were in a master class the next day at our school and made the same jokes, and I laughed the same. And they're like, "Who was that? Yep. I, I know that laugh." And yep. I was like, "You didn't recognize by a, la- a laughter." And I realized that I have had such a positive effect on people, and it's part of the reason why I'm still here today. I, I've been gone through deep depression and some serious stuff. And the only reason why I'm still around was because I realized that if I went, all of these other people would go too. Mm -hmm. And I I couldn't keep myself. I couldn't, I wasn't, I don't want to say selfish, but I guess that's kind of what what it is. I wasn't selfish enough to take, to take that away from other people. Yeah. Um, so that's a very good one to make sure to realize that, you have an impact on people you would not ever have thought of. Yep. And you don't know how much you're, you impact people day to day. You could be the light of somebody's day yep. and not even know. No idea. You would have no clue whatsoever. Is there um, anything else you would like to talk about? Oh, 
Oh, um, the Brit thing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you had asked why I go by Brit. Um, some people use stage names. Some people. Yeah. So yeah. I was just wondering if if it was just something you had felt better as and. Um. So. Obviously, my full name is Brittany. Um, my parents call me Brittany Joy. That's just what they've always called me. And I, I love that. That's as a whole, it, it's good. I like that. My family calls me Buppy. So, like, in my house, there's never really a Brittany. It's either mm-hmm. Buppy, Britt, or Brittany Joy. Um, growing up, I went to public school for two years. And it was the worst two years of my life. Not really. But <laughs> as a kid, it felt like the worst two years of my life. And I was bullied for being called Brittany. And as a little conservative Baptist girl um, at the time, they called me Britney Spears. And mm-hmm. I thought that was the worst thing in the entire world. You know, I was like, how dare you compare me to Britney Spears, you know, and call me Britney Spears. So for, for those who don't know, uh, Britney Spears during that time, she had had a uh, really controlling father. And now we know the full extent of the, the issues that Britney Spears went through. She had a, a really controlling father who would control every aspect of her life, and she didn't really have any control over her life. So what she decided to do was try to ruin that grip by freaking out, shaving her head, doing all these wild, wild things to try and break out of, of you know, being essentially a slave to her mm-hmm. dad. Yeah. So... And but at that point we we just thought there was a crazy person going crazy. Yep. So in my head I was like, I don't want to be affiliated with that at mm-hmm. all, you know. Um, so it was the worst, and to me at least. And then once it wasn't until I still like I would get nervous and like panicky every time my name had to be called, like someone say Brittany, and I would hate it. It mm-hmm. would like my soul would be crushed, and I didn't like that because my parents named me. Right. Um, my great grandma's from England, so they named me Brittany because of like Britain, Brittany. Um, so that's and so I was like, I should be proud of that. It's my you know heritage, and she was like, we're very similar apparently. Um, so I should be proud of that, but I wasn't. Um, and then it was until I think end of high school, beginning of college that I was like, I don't want to be called Brittany all the time. Like I just don't. Um, and some people had called me Brit or Brit sometimes. And I was like, I honestly think I prefer that. Um, and so I think it was like the second year of college, first year of college that I just started writing Brit on everything. I changed my Facebook to Brit. I changed things. We talked about stage names. So I was like, people just probably assume it's that, right. you yeah. know, and I can get away with it. And now everyone calls me Brit and it's great. So, however, I have grown a lot and I don't really have like, like, if people call me Brittany, I'm like, hey, like, it's okay. Right. Um, It's weird, though, because some people will be like, hey, Brittany. And I don't answer right away. <laughs> like, I'm like, what? <laughs> yep. They said it. At, um, We were, they were like, uh, Brittany, can you do your mic check? And I was like, did they say Brittany? I was like, <laughs> they mean me? <laughs> okay, cool. Um, Yeah. And it's like, uh, yeah, it's fine now. But it was just one of those things that people were like, hmm. I had considered going by my middle name, Joy, um, but everyone was like, no, please don't do that. <laughs> right, like, yeah. That's a bit, a lot of difference, and, like, some people, you know, do that, and that's mm-hmm. great for them, but I just felt like a identity crisis, <laughs> so I just <laughs> was like, Brit's good, Brit's fine. <laughs> yep, that's that.
Well, Britt, it's been <laughs> wonderful having you on the show. Yes, this has been awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. They can find you on your Instagram. Yep. And do you have any upcoming performances? Um, we have one more weekend of SpongeBob the Musical. Um, and that's where? It's at Collegium Charter School in Exton, PA, mm. um, through Revival Productions. So if you go to Revi- revivalperformingarts.com, um, you can get tickets there. Um, it's not at their building. It's at another building that's like 12 minutes from from there um and yeah that's what that's ending and then I have do you have any up- upcoming shows after that um i will be in ragtime with servant stage Rag in, th- oh, yeah, in the fall um i will be doing a lot of summer camps music directing a lot of summer camps this summer which i'm super excited for um and i'm actually co-directing um so servant stage has a program kind of like a conservatory mm-hmm. for kids that want to pursue theater a little bit more seriously um so they have their junior co um app co and teen co and it's like the three levels that go up um or they just like focus on different things and so actually richard thomas and i are both the directors of youth co right now um, cool. we just started last week and every monday night we have a three-hour class that we have <clears throat> a group of like 10 students that we will have for um the whole summer and then we'll do like a showcase at the end and we have like a syllabus and yeah it's super fun so that's kind of what i'm doing i thought of one last question sure go ahead what would uh what advice would you give to parents of children who want to seek theater Mm, that's awesome um wow Hmm. It's it's a interesting one Like, would you, how would, how would you, would you, like, encourage them to have them do it? Would you? I think they should try it. If mm-hmm. they, if they love it, they love it. Um, there are some people that consistently do theater as a hobby. You know, mm-hmm. like, there are yes. professional theater actors in the area that are EPAC, Fulton, that didn't go to school for it. It's just their hobby. But they just, for some reason, they loved it so much that they just per- kept pursuing it. They and have they their side it. job, you know, they work at their, their do some taxes or their whatever they do, but they, they love it. So they, they made sure that they, they did the work and that they can do it. Um, so if they love it, let them go for it. They're going to realize if they want it to be a hobby and if they want it to be their life. There is a moment in a teacher's life, in a parent's life where you have to, if, be like hey I don't think this is for you you know there is a moment for that um however because sometimes dreams can get in the way of reality right Mm -hmm. however at as a student if they love it have them have them do it now is the time to try things new as a kid yeah as a kid kid, try things things new no matter what they're not wasting their time because they theater you learn so much about yourself and about life others and others social yes, so much social exactly interaction. that it is so worth it mm-hmm. no matter what so just go for it don't hold them back don't push them mm. if they're really good to be like okay go to college for it you know don't don't push them or force them to do it in the end um don't turn them into a, a regretful prodigy yes exactly um however it, they need to love it to, to keep going with it, especially the kid. Um, but just go for it. All right. Well, with that said, 
That has been uh, this has been Corey Rosen with the Story Podcast with Rick Drakowski. Thank you guys for staying with us, and I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye. Bye.